Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I say your name. You solemnly swear. To support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies. Foreign and domestic. And to bear true faith. And allegiance to the same. Then I will obey. The orders of. The President of the United States. And the orders of. Those officers. Appointed over me. According to regulations. And the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of the American Vet Podcast. And once again, I just want to remind my listeners, every Friday, I have an open Zoom call that anybody can jump on. Just find American Vet Podcast on Facebook, and or you can email me at dave at americanvetpodcast.com for the links, and I will be glad to give you links. It starts at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and... Anybody's more than welcome to jump on, talk about whatever you want to talk about. A bunch of other veterans on there, so build that camaraderie a little bit. Um, even if you want to just come on and not show camera or talk or anything, just and listen. That's I'm good with that too. Um, so once again, that's every Friday night at seven thirty Eastern Standard Time. And for this episode, I am sitting here with Chris, who is a six year Air Force veteran as a heavy equipment operator with four deployments you can follow chris on tiktok at gcme2000 chris how you doing i'm doing good brother thank you for having me hey man it, it pleasure's mine man you um like i said uh you know the tiktok like we were talking prior to uh recording here your tiktok page is very you know i think uh you get it. Like I said, you, you understand the need and, and the awareness to get uh, the information out there that it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to, you know, and do that and get yourself out of that, out of that dark spot in your life. Yeah, man. I mean, I guess unless you've been there, which many of us have, it's, it's uh, hard to understand what plays in our mind. <laughs> Correct. So I just want to ask you, uh, Chris, you know, who, who were you before the Air Force and why did you join the Air Force? Oh, man, Dave, I was a, I was a country boy from northern Wyoming. Um, <laughs> I got a twin brother who was in the Navy. He uh, signed on a bit before I did and uh, wasn't a great student like he was. Uh, came home one day. I lived with my grandparents. and. Grandma asked me if I had any plans for that Friday afternoon. And I said, nope, sure don't. She said, yep, you sure do. You're going to go meet the recruiter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, northern Wyoming, town I grew up in, there ain't many options. Or at that time, you know, we're talking the mid to late 90s, weren't many options for much other than drugs, uh, ranching, or coal mining. So grandma wanted me to get the hell out of that particular situation and you know grandpa was a was a vet and my dad was a vet my uncle was a vet and my brother had already left so she needed to get the hell get me the hell out of there as well so that was my calling <laughs> if you will <laughs> um so yeah 
went in in 2001. And uh, I went in in January of 01. And uh, so pre-9-11. Uh, and then got out in January of 07 uh, with, uh, you know, not necessarily wanting to get out, but it was the correct stage in my life to have not. Okay. All right. So, you know, talk to me about your, your, you know, we'll, we'll get into the, the service time there. So now you're, you're in Wyoming, you go into the air force and where, where do they send you after, after boot camp? So for me, I went from, uh, Lackland in San Antonio out to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, which is a, I believe now they call it a joint training base. Yeah. Fort Lawson. Fort Lost in the Woods, there she is. Ain't, ain't much out there. It's the joyous of everybody's time, you know. Um, went on out there and then got my first and only real true duty station, which was at uh, Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado Springs. Okay, how did you like that place? Uh, you know, it was okay. Um it's a pretty high profile Air Force base based on the fact of its proximity to the Air Force Academy. Um, so there is big, tall, large brass everywhere. Uh, I think there was at any given time about five to eight four star generals um, at that base. So we, uh, we were always hosting somebody. And man, you see it on the movies and stuff, and it's pretty true. We were literally painting grass at times, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, just so everything could be just so. You know, I was fortunate enough to, at that time, you know, have a couple security details for the president. Um, so at the time, it was Bush. You know, I got to do some pretty kick-ass shit with the Secret Service. Um, being a heavy equipment operator, we got to play with big toys, which also could be used as ramming vehicles in the Secret Service's eyes. Yep. So, um, you know, pretty badass getting to sit in a big old dump truck with a Secret Service agent sitting next to me and knowing that they have all the power and whatever they say goes. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty cool, man. And then, uh, you know, the pretty famous day for all of us was 9-11, right? Um, yeah. You know, I was out actually at Peterson on an FTX that day. Uh, it had been my first FTX ever. I actually, at that time, for a fair bit of time, thought that 9-11 was part of the FTX scenario. I'd never been through it. I didn't know what to expect, you know, obviously doing math out there were about eight, nine months into my military career, including basic training. So, yeah, you know, still pretty, pretty wet behind the ears. And, uh, you know, man, once that hit, you know, obviously mine as did everybody's world kind of, kind of went on a completely different journey. Um, you know, and especially being at that base, you know, my heart sank because, you know, we're fairly close to the academy, fairly close to 
you know, quite a few places that I would consider high value targets, if you will, for an enemy fighter. So we did quite a bit of a uh, base hardening in and around that area. Sure. <laughs> you know, I went out on my first deployment in 04, so I had three ish years of all that base hardening training prior. <laughs> yeah. 04. O four was rough out there, man. It wasn't. Uh, that's where uh, things really started getting bad. O four, O five. Yeah, man. O four, O five was pretty rough. I was there. Um, oh man, August, September of O four, somewhere in that time frame. When I came back in March or so of of O five. So I got to see quite a bit of that. Um, I want to say that 04 was one of the first big storms on Ramadi. Yep. Um, I think it was right around the time that Ramadi was kind of becoming fairly synonymous with how much actual hell on earth happened. Um, I was at what would be commonly thought of or known as LSA and Honda. And, uh, about eighty miles north or so of Baghdad, so we were uh, we were a pretty common stop for quite a few folks coming from Ramadi. Um, and uh, man, it was uh, going into those caches and doing some work in those caches. Uh, you know, seeing things that you know at the time nobody, well, to hell with age, right? Nobody should ever see that type of thing. Man. Yeah, for sure knowing those are brothers and sisters of ours that had just done whatever they had done and, and are now in that scenario of trying to get back to Germany to, uh, you know, just in some cases, literally get their life safe. Um, you know, it's pretty, pretty, pretty nerve wracking, pretty, pretty intense on the mind, you know, <laughs> seeing stuff like that. And uh, in some cases, dealing with stuff like that, you know, um, having to cope with those things and and not, you know, not wanting to be the pussy that, that goes and opens up about feelings, you know, that's just not what we're supposed to do, right? It's, right, uh, exactly. It's a difficult balance, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, so I'm assuming you know, as a heavy equipment operator, you kind of, you left the wire quite a bit. And I know there was, uh, you know, fours IED era is when that, those really started taking off. So, I mean, it's, you're absolutely right. You know, nobody, nobody's, you know, of age or mindset or anything like that to see what goes on over there. Never mind, you know, kicking down doors and stuff like that, but just, you know, the stress coming alone, just, um, driving you know you know seven tons or you know dump trucks or or refuelers right you know the, the 18 wheelers that are full with uh fuel you know huge huge targets and stuff like that and it is it's it's tremendously tough i mean you got in in oh one and at that point in oh one we're we're america right we're tough nobody's gonna ever attack us this that and the other thing but you join and then you know a few months after you join you know nine eleven happens and then Luckily, you were able, you know you're one of the, the lucky ones that got a few years of training prior to going over. But even that training, 
I, you know, there's no training that you can give anybody that's going to prepare them for, for things that you're going to see, especially when, you know, you're going to war with a new country and you don't know what they have. Yeah, man, I, I really, I couldn't agree more, right? Like, um, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it, I had already had a, a pretty extreme respect for the military and such, but then, like you said, you know, being placed in that situation, you know, seeing that firsthand, you know, I, I remember pretty specifically, you know, we were we were driving a water truck, me and my, my battle buddy. Yep. Um, you know, and I hopped out to get smokes from Haji because they were selling them pretty cheap. And, uh, you know, he got up on top of the water truck to fill it. And uh, fucking round went right through his helmet. Uh. You know? Uh, and we had sat in the truck moments before that, you know, not arguing over who was going to fill the truck, but, you know, kind of like like we do, you know, it's, yeah, it's your turn it. or it's my turn. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, luckily the dude survived it. Um, the ballistic helmet that he had on did take quite a bit of the force so thankfully it did what it was supposed to do. Uh, you know back in back in 04 we were still pretty questionable on what normal PPE was at the time and, you know we fucked around as much as the next guy did you know at, at Anaconda you're getting attacked so daggone much and the attacks were so frequent I think it spread some complacency but it just takes that one type of an event where shit gets real quick, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you, you know, luckily, luckily you make, you make it through your first deployment. And so now you come back to the States. Um, you know, how is it, you know, after being out there for the first time, you know, and how long did you have before you went back out on another deployment and stuff like that? You know, that, that whole time period, how was that? Man, that was probably one of the rougher times. So um, I got married in 2002. So met my wife by, as a byproduct of 9-11. Got married. Um, we had lived together, obviously, being married. And uh, after that deployment, man, we had just bought the house that we lived in 10 days before I left on the deployment. So we uh, crunched time there. Fast forward to me getting back, man, I, uh, it was day one or day two of being back. First off, you know, I got back to the airport. All I wanted to do was see my wife. We'd been gone for, we'd been, you know, separated for quite a bit, man. And I don't know if I like it to this day or I hate it to this day, but, you know, they did as they do. And there's 500 people at the airport and I appreciate the support and I appreciate that, but. You know, my mind was, you're just keeping me from my wife right now, and I just want to see my wife and get the hell out of here and go home. So day one or day two of being home, I, uh, man, I didn't sleep much that night. i get up because my wife had closed the door a little too loud. She comes downstairs, and, you know, it, I hate to see it in myself even today, but, you know, I what I'd call the spawn of Satan came out, man, and. I was probably 
not in a very good spot and I was exceptionally angry. She had no idea what she did, none whatsoever. The infraction was closing a door too loud, but it took me right back. Right. And I never put my hands on her. Um, but we had some very choice words. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, within that first week, I thought my marriage was over, man. Um, because again, right, trying to be the tough guy, trying to take on all that emotion at once and trying to not show the emotion. But, man, I just couldn't control it anymore. Um, it, it got pretty bad until she kind of understood. And I don't know even to this day that she truly understands. Um, but I've also learned to this day better to cope with it from those things. You know, um, I, I, I love golfing in the back in the past time. I love golfing. And uh, man, it was a couple days later, I was at a golf course and a few young kids were lighting black cats. Man. And again, that just snapped me into it. Then I see myself chasing, you know, four or five kids that are under the age of 10 with the golf club, you know, and, right. and those are the points where I just look at myself in the mirror and I, I don't know what saving grace, God, whatever you want to call it, snapped me out of it at the time to not get violent, but man, something did. And, and even to this day, I'm highly thankful. So the time between, I got back in March of 04, I was back on, I don't think they called it FTX anymore. I mean, we were back on front train a couple months, and I was gone again in July of 05. So, very short turnaround. Yeah. And no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was back on a six month turnaround for that. And uh, I was on, I was back, back training within the first couple months. So, I left again on the second deployment. Had a better understanding on that first deployment. I did a lot of stuff for my wife as far as what I was going through with, you know, getting back after it, just having a better understanding how to open up to her and talk to her and make it more personal with the two of us so it didn't impact too much that go around. But, yeah, man, that first one was the rough. Yeah, and in 05 or 04, 05 time frame, as far as I can remember, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you tell, you tell your story and I'm like, man, I don't remember the PTS. I mean, it wasn't a known thing back then. You know, you're, you're coming back from, you know, a deployment and everything and you had nowhere to go, really. You know what I mean? It wasn't as widespread as now. Like, everybody knows what PTS is. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, you know, just on the difference between my first and second deployment, uh, first deployment, man, it was like, you know, we got our day. We couldn't say anything about it. But they said, you know, you'll be in Germany. And then this, you know, kind of gave us our flight plan home. They said, you're more than welcome when you get stateside to call your stops. So, you know, when I called there, I had about, 12 hours between that call and actually getting home. Um, so then fast forward to that second deployment, man. At that time, they were kind of starting to believe they being at least the Air Force at the time, 
that, well, what we'll do is we'll deploy you. We'll send you to the, to the desert to go do your thing. But what we're going to do is we're going to keep you in Kuwait for two weeks. And that'll help you normalize. That's what they called it. So we sat in Kuwait for 14 days with absolutely nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. That, um, which is, which my except get pissed off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from my understanding of, of everything and, you know, I, I'm one of the fortunate ones that did my time in and, and got out and, and I don't have PTS, but as far as, you know, the people I talk to and everything else, if you're just sitting there, you know, it's like COVID right now, right? Everybody's sitting at home and you're, you're there with your thoughts. You have nothing to occupy your thoughts. So, you know, if you take you out of a, you know, 14 month, 17 month deployment, then they're going to stick you in Kuwait for two weeks with nothing to do. I feel like that's, worse than sending you home yeah man and i mean that kind of shows that somewhat progression right so you bring up the pts i don't mind using the it can be a disorder if they want it to be right um it's it's i think the real factor with ptsd is you make it what it is and you make it what you can make um i think um Showing the progression, that was what they thought was best. And you're absolutely right, man. I didn't want to spend more time with the folks that I had just spent a shit ton of time with, you know. Um, but here you are, do more of it because that's what we feel is best. So, you know, the PTSD thing, man, I fought with the VA on that up until. So I got out in 07. I fought the VA with that up until 2014. Um, so I fought the VA for six years to get them to recognize what was going on. Um, I knew what was going on. My wife knew what was going on, but you know, we don't have PhD anywhere in our names or MD anywhere in our names. So we were not capable in the VA's eyes of explaining or expressing that. Right. It finally came down to her and me writing letters to express that. And they said, okay, we'll give you another book. You know? So, yeah, man, it was a, that was a pretty rough spell, but it felt like a small victory, if you will. Um, and, and less than a victory, more of an acceptance. Somebody recognizing what actually happened. You know, I think that was a victory. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you, you know, it sounds like your wife, you know, she stuck with you through all of that. And, you know, it sounds like, I know you're saying that you guys are kind of, you're having some words at each other and stuff like that, but it, it sounds like just from what you're saying is that she knew it wasn't really you, even at the early stages of this going back in 0405, you know, and then your other deployments. And, and it, I'm just glad that you had that kind of support, that kind of, you know, as you're, as you're, let's be honest, you're being a dick, you know, and, you yes, know, she, she was, you know, she wasn't going to back down from that. And she was just giving it right back to you. I think, uh, definitely helped you out a little bit. I mean, obviously you don't want to, you know, I don't want to promote, you know, you shouldn't be yelling at somebody that's, that's really going through all this stuff, but you know, it worked for you. Sounds like, you know, she was definitely your support. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I, I don't want to sound like the same this whole thing either, right? Um, yeah. But I think I think the problem that we found fairly quickly 
happened was the fact that we were trying to hide that from each other. Um, and the, the, you know, we just got to it and finally decided, you know what, we, these, whatever this is, I might not, I might not understand what it is, but it allowed me to an extent to be vulnerable. Um, but vulnerable to somebody that knew me pre that happened. Um, obviously she didn't know or didn't have the same experiences, but it, it did allow me an opportunity to be vulnerable to somebody that knew me before it, loved me before it, loved me through it, and loved me after. Um, and so I think that was, again, not an easy transition. But it was something that we had to sit down and decide. Um, you know, there was not official counseling, but we did see, you know, we did take something to do some own home counseling where we stuff we could work through. And I mean, even to this day, I, I do still have doubts of it. And yeah. You know, I, I give my wife a look or I give my wife a phrase we've agreed upon and, and it means nothing to nobody other than me and her. And uh, if, if any of those happen, she knows we hell out of where we are or I'm gone myself. Like somehow I am being from that situation, whether she's coming with me or not. But she knows that that thing and she knows what that means. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because she cares and she's been paying attention. And uh, like you said, she knows you before before nine uh, eleven, before oh oh one. And uh, you know, it's just it's amazing to hear people. You know, I it's it's nice to hear people that they stay through it because, like, right now I'm on my on my third marriage. Um. But that's just the Marines, right? We're supposed to get married a couple times. Yeah, I mean, y'all. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I can't say it much better or differently. <laughs> so, yeah. So, okay. So, so now you go on your, your second deployment. Um, talk. You know how how was that for you? You know, you don't have to. You know, like, just kind of. After you went through the first one, so now you're dealing with all this mental stuff at home, freaking out, getting mad. Um, do you realize at this point, you know, in that, that six-month gap that you're actually, you know, you've changed as a person being home. And now you're going back out there. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I think it's hard to not recognize that change. So yeah. I think if you don't recognize that change yourself, you're, you're fooling yourself. Um, you know, it was slightly more to be a person at that time to know that we had to work through that and to know that I had that support system at home regardless so it did allow me on further deployments and training exercises where I was going those odd environments uh, to be more open with what was going on though obviously at the time OPSEC was a pretty big deal right um you know, as it still is. And, uh, so I couldn't quite tell her everything necessarily, but I could reveal more that I didn't reveal on the first one. 
Okay, now you know I don't think it made it much easier, but there was more understanding when I came after further stuff. Right. Now I know you said you you, you had a brother that you know a twin brother that wasn't in, went into the navy. Did your did your brother kind of deploy too as well? So that at least that way maybe you guys when you're back at home you kind of can bounce. You know your your uh, mental stress. He didn't deploy. Um, he was actually his first and only duty station was in Japan. He was a Navy guy. He was stationed and on an Air Force base. Um, but he got the brains, and I got the brawn, if you will. So uh, he was a computer IT tech guy, something I don't know, some big fancy something or another. Yep. And uh, so he did a lot of, I don't know what it was, just tech stuff where there wasn't a huge call for deployable need. Right. Um, he got out, he was in 2000, 2004. So he got out in 2004, right before my first deployment. But even with him, um, you know, there was still a, pretty decent hesitation to even talk to him about it, man, right? Because I was still pretty, trying to be the tough guy, right? Trying to, you know, I could somewhat talk about it with the brotherhood and the bond and the military, but I was still pretty hesitant to even open up to him about much of anything. I felt looked down upon, um, you know, not necessarily by him, but it, it was a hard mental transition to, uh, to that, to, to not put myself as, as to not put myself as feeling less than for whatever reason it was, man. And, and I probably couldn't to this day put good words to why I felt that way. But there was a fair bit of it where, where I, I held a hostility or an animosity for what I had been through. And I, I think I had even taken it out on not just family, but friends. Um, and, and almost a, a, I don't know, a cocky, arrogant way of, you'll never know what I've gone through, if that makes sense. No, absolutely, it absolutely does make sense. And, you know, I, we, we talked about, we talked about a couple of things prior to, to recording, but I think now's a good time to bring it up. So at what point were you actually able to talk about you know, what's going on with you as a, as a person, um, to other people and how did, how does, you know, how does that help you now today? Man, you know what? It, uh, it took a good bit of time. Um, it took a good bit of time, a fair bit of alcohol. Um, you know, I was probably drinking far more than I ever should have or thought I could have or whatever the case is, man. But, you know, I, I got to a point, I want to say it was probably, probably, I got out in 07, so probably three or so years later, man, I, I just kind of figured that if I could talk about what happened, um, you know, probably not the super deep detail, right? Um, if I could get it out. It wasn't necessarily, you know, 
putting myself out there to get praise or or admiration for anything, man. But it was really just trying to help those around me understand that when I'm not right, I'm not right, and, and that that it, it you know, it, it there's things there's even to this day, you know, twenty odd years later, not even whatever, where certain things even to this day still get to me, but now those that are around me know what those are. And, and being able to talk about it, at least in my experience, helped me. Um, I think the, the hurdle that, that many veterans face was that one that I was at, man, where it was like, I don't want to talk to you because you don't have a fucking clue what I just went You don't have a clue what I've seen. and you don't care anyways kind of thing, man. And, and uh, I think once I was able to clear that hurdle, it wasn't easy and it did take some time. But that kind of freed me up to, again, not be admired for what I did. I didn't do it for that. Um, obviously, we signed the contract. I signed it prior to knowing what was happening. Um, but we all signed the contract and we all know that that contract says, to defend our country against enemies, enemies foreign and domestic. And I will write a check for my life for those around me. Um, so that's kind of where we got to, man. Just was, it took some time, but to be able to actually talk about it and be, I mean, I, I got recognized for it, you know, within the family and friends and stuff. That was what I did. It for. Just to, somewhat let some of those themes go in. Yeah. I don't think anybody will never know till the end of it, but you know, a fair bit of them are out now, you know? Absolutely. And it's, and it, it is, it's a hell of a hurdle, like you're saying to, to get over that. Cause you know, the whole time you're in and you know, everybody's like, Oh, you gotta be tough. You gotta be tough. You know, just whatever you're feeling, just, just push that down. Just, just push it down. We move forward, you know, you're you're protecting me. You're protecting your brothers and sisters while we're out there on the battlefield and stuff like that. And you know, you're an airman. You know what I mean. You're not. You know, no offense to the gas pumpers out there, but you're not a gas pumper. You know, you have tremendous responsibility. You got to be alert all the time. So you push all that stuff down. So it it is very hard to just start opening up to people and opening up to yourself even, and just saying, okay, yes, this happened. This is what I'm going through. And to start unloading stuff off your chest, man, it, it's, you know, as, as you're, as you're going through now, you know, it's a, it's an amazing thing to actually finally accept that you have a, an issue with whatever happened or, you know, you just get mad at, at, you know, like you said, at certain things, you know, like, you know, the way somebody treats somebody, of course, you're going to get mad at it because you're kind of like, well, I just defended you so you can do this and then or it triggers something because you saw something, whatever the case is. But, you know, you got to, I think, you know, for anybody out there, if you, if you got something in you and you think that you got to just keep pushing it down, to, that's going to make you stronger. It's it's not. What makes you stronger is you just being open with someone. You don't have to be open with, with the world or anything like that, but at least, you know, start with your significant other and then, work your way up like Chris did up to his family. And, uh, you know, you're not, you're not doing it for praise, but they need to know what's going on too as well. And 
you know, people will help you. You know, the, the, the true friends and the true loved ones will stay around and they'll help you. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more, man. Um, even at least in my circumstance, I, I don't know that I want it necessarily, but I just started feeling a weight coming out of me and off of me by just being able to talk about some of those things. Yeah. Um, being able to explain to my wife while we're driving where we're driving and how we're you know I mean it, it changes you when you're out there on a convoy and, and dodging IEDs and though we don't see it man we drive differently because of and we drive differently in the United States where we're supposed to be safe free of all that stuff man. but being able to be in those scenarios and kind of explain them through it I think was the freeing part to yeah, absolutely. So, man, I, I'm absolutely ecstatic that you're, you know, you are who you are today. And, uh, you know, your, your TikTok videos, like I, you know, I told the listeners out there, you know, you can follow Chris on TikTok at, at GC, GCME2000. And you can see how, you know, you do care. And you, like I said, you, get it you realize it is so the weight's off your shoulders like you're saying you know and it just makes you makes you better of a person and and you're not the only one out there living with that that decision to make like do i let this off my chest and let everybody call me a puss and and everything else with the stigmas and out there and whatnot yeah man and i mean um i think it's pretty important to, I, I took an oath a few months ago off of TikTok, right? It's brought to my attention when I first started up TikTok. And, and it's an oath that I will not be one of 22. Um, you know, um, it, it's it's a huge issue to me. It's a huge deal to me. The, the fact of being where I am today does give me a certain freeing portion. But it also helps me be able to open up to those that aren't necessarily at my level right now. And I say my level of just accepting what happened and being able to be that person that was vulnerable. And we hate being vulnerable. And I think it's a a pretty sad trait that, you know, especially male warriors that have been to war hate being so vulnerable about things, man. There was nothing more free than, than getting past that. And, uh, you know, TikTok has really kind of helped me to get there. I never would have thought those words ever come out of my mouth. Man. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the community is amazing out there. You know, you got your trolls, your keyboard warriors, man, that kind of stuff. But uh, I think you're going to have them anywhere, right? right? Keyboard warriors of any breed, anywhere they're at. And uh, I think it's how you deal with those folks, right? Or, or how you don't deal with those folks in some scenarios. There's some of them out for their 15 seconds of fame, man. And, and what really what really gets to me, man, is uh, just veterans having to go through it 
on a social media platform of any kind. And, uh, you know, I've always told myself since I got back and out in 07, that assholes didn't kill me over there. And you're going to have to try a hell of a lot harder than you think you can over here, you know, and, uh, whether it be in person or, or over the social media. Yeah, absolutely. So I gotta, you know, now that we're, we're, we're on the, the the TikTok uh, subject here. So you have, so on your, on your videos, I see a lot of times that you put on hashtags right on your videos. And I think, you know, one of them was like, uh, think the newest one you have is uh man ac vets or something like that yeah so it's uh manic vets it's uh it's a hashtag that me and a few brothers created um i started running with a, a hashtag out there called bully me crew and um, we try and go after they they and we try and go after bullies try and stand up for those that can't and and uh, help those that need it. So through that, you know, I, I was able to approach the, the guys that started that. They were gracious enough to allow me the opportunity to start my own hashtag under their name uh, to get it running. So we started uh, hashtag Bully Me Crew Bets, and then within the last uh, week or so, 10 days, we transferred it over to Manic Bets. Hashtag manic bets. And we came up with that, man, because it's a letter from every service branch. We've got every branch of service uh, represented within the manic bets. And, you know, we're just trying to uh, support those within the veteran and even active military community that can't support themselves um, by doing kind of what we're doing here. Yeah. Um, and also providing a platform for those that have been through what I've been to to help provide that support again in terms of those that can't provide it themselves. Right. So we're trying to play both sides of it, right? We we've all been there. Um, everybody that that participates in the man events is either a veteran, uh, has family ties to a veteran. So, man, when we're talking to each other or, or other people, we, we all have that similar bond, if you will. And we've all been there, done that, or, or in some form or fashion. Absolutely. So, I, I like that. I like that plan now, because now I know more more what's going on with that. I like, you know, I'll start using using it as well. Um, when someone going to post that I have. And, you know, you're saying it's, every letter from every branch of service. And I'm like, holy shit. I didn't, you know, I didn't put two and two. I'm a Marine, so it wasn't in crown, so I didn't figure it out. Um, well, actually it's funny because the Marine in the group came up with it. So we had to feed him extra crayons. <laughs> shit. If he's been worth anything else over the last 10 days, but he gave us our hashtag. So brother, I appreciate you for it. <laughs> Awesome. So yeah, even even the listeners out there, um, you know, start using that. Get that out there. Get the word out there. Get it known. Um, you know. So are you guys? So you guys kind of be like more or less a uh, like a nonprofit type of thing, or you are you just doing it as far as like a social media, like I can help you out. You know, I'm always you know like one call away kind of thing. 
Man, you know what? It's pretty funny, right? We uh, we were just talking about this last night. So we, uh, lack of a better term, we we've got a table of, of seven, like I said, veterans or spouses of veterans. Um, we're sitting down talking about it last night. We started this hashtag, uh, like I said, a week or so ago, and had absolutely no idea where the hell it would be today. Um, the last time I looked at it, man, we cleared, I, I want to say we're clear of seven or 8,000 views. So we're roughly getting about 1,000 views a week or a day rather. And, uh, man, we were like, holy shit, we better act like we know what we're doing now. Cause uh, <laughs> apparently people are noticing. So, um, I say, don't, you know what? Don't change. Go it. Ahead. I was going to say, don't change what you're doing, man. It's working. Yeah, for sure, man. So we, uh, the founding seven of us kind of got together last night on a call. And you know what? We kind of said, hey, let's start taking up a membership, if you will, man. And uh, so what we've done is you'll see a video of mine out there. And a few of my brothers and sisters have gone on it as well. We're asking for a fairly simple thing. If you want to throw the hashtag, we just need to see kind of an audition video, right? We want to see an authentic nature of who you are, mostly because we don't want some keyboard warrior getting into what we're doing and screwing it up for us okay. um, and giving us a bad name. So, uh, you know, there's a video out there. We ask for some very basic stuff. If you're not comfortable doing a video right away, send me a DM. Um, my video has everybody in it tagged that's a part of us or the, the founding of us, and uh, send one of us a DM, man. We'll walk you through it. We'll figure it out. Um, you know, we want to do the video because, obviously, that's what we're there for, uh, support-wise, on the Tickamacock. And, uh, you know, we've we've taken off like a freaking rocket thus far, man, and, and it's been amazing, you know, to, to get down to who we've gotten down to man, I met some amazing people and incredible people. And, you know, it just kind of spurred from there. <laughs> Perfect. I think I'll be, uh, you know, after we get off here, I'll talk to you and, and I'll see what I can, you know, how I can contribute to you guys and get you guys, well, you know, more known out there and stuff like that. And uh, start following you, all of you guys, you and, and your uh, six other counterparts. Um, yeah, man, I appreciate it, man. Anything... You know, we're all on the same mission together, right? We've all been there, done that, and we just want to provide either A, the support that need it to those that need another, yep. or just getting people that want to help support what we're doing. You know, those are the things that we're trying to get out there because for some freaking reason, man, that TikTok is, is definitely attacking a lot of veterans for a lot of stupid ass. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, look, it, it brought us two together, right? I'm out in Massachusetts. You're out in Colorado. We're here. We're talking. And, uh, you know, we would have never talked if it wasn't for the TikTok. And, and like I said, I, I started watching your videos. And uh, when I DM'd you a while back and uh, started watching your videos. And when I really wanted it, I was like, I got to know more about this guy. Because this guy is, uh, you're not one of those ones that are putting out videos of, you know, stupid stuff and uh you know yours is 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 truth yeah man i mean that's all i know how to be man and i think uh i think that was one of the things that came with that 
accepting who I had become, if you will. Um, you know, I did that back, well, shit, over a decade ago, not the timeline, but uh, I think there's a, another thing going across the TikTok where it says uh, the most dangerous people are those that use the phrase, it is what it is. And, uh, well, I'm here to tell you, I don't just use that phrase. I literally have the T-shirt as well. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's funny because when I first fought, saw that video to myself, I was like, shit, I didn't realize I was dangerous. I do it all the time. Right. <laughs> you know, you know I'll, I'll be working with guys or whatever, and they'll be like, man, this job sucks and everything else. I'm like, hey, you know, it is what it is, man. You know, you're not supposed to like it. That's why they're paying you to do it. So just do it. Right. And I think that's part of that phrase, man. The more that I got to thinking about it the first time I'd seen that is like, man, to actually use that phrase and mean it, it, it does kind of put you in a, I guess, dangerous spot because you're, you're more accepting of things than yep. most people are. Yeah. And uh, having that acceptance is also a freeing piece to life as well, man. Um, yeah. To me, it just means I can, I, I don't really care, man. Um, I don't have those fears anymore. I don't have those things anymore. Sure, I, I still get the, the manic moments. I still get the anxiety drives. I still get all that. But man, you know what? To use the phrase, as cliche as it is, it is what it is. Yeah. And I survived another day, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, you know, you can use it against, you know, all your, you know, your feelings, your, your, your triggers and stuff like that. Like, hey, man, it is what it is. This is who I am. And this is what I'm going through. So, you know, I don't see it as, as dangerous. I see it more as a, as a gateway of just unloading shit, you know, sit somebody down. Oh, absolutely. Sit somebody down, one of your friends say, hey, man, this is me. This is what it is. You know, I don't sleep at night or, or this, this gets me going or, you know, I'm having suicidal thoughts, whatever it is, just, you know, it, it, I can't say it enough, but it is what it is, but you know, you need to accept it like you're saying. And then I guess it is dangerous. Cause then after that, you get to be the, the person you never thought you'd ever be. Right, man. There's a, there's a certain part of that. That's a freeing ass. Yeah. So I have a, uh, one of my favorite quotes, um, that I like it. It goes, uh, if you don't heal what hurt you, you'll bleed on those who didn't cut you. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate, you know, that shoot, you go back to the Vietnam era, man, and those men and women, you know, and what they went, and further back into World War II, World War One, Korea, all that. And those folks were never allowed to heal. Oh. I don't think they were ever given the opportunity to heal, man. So sad to see what happened. And uh, to have platforms now, to have it to speak now. And I think more so emotions are easier to come by, I guess. Easy more readily accepted, I guess would be the better way. Um 
I think at least in my opinion, it allowed me to close a lot of before it got too far. Right. I believe. And that's, that's, a, yeah. I'm just glad that, man, I'm, I'm glad that you're one of the ones that, you know, you're on this side and, and you told yourself you weren't, you wasn't going to be a 22. But, so I have to ask you if, if I'm a young, I'm a young buck again, and I'm going into the Air Force as a heavy equipment operator today, you know, what would your one piece advice be for somebody going into the Air Force right now? Man, I mean, guess I, I guess I'd say just live it up, man. Take it for what it's worth. Um, you know, I, I the military is going to get their pound of flesh from you, regardless of of what your MOS or trade is. Yeah. And uh, you know, do what you can to take advantage of your time service as well, man. Um, like I said, I'd have retired this year. I'd be retired right now. Um, I got out too soon, probably. That wasn't fully my decision. But, uh, you know, take advantage of everything the military gives you, man. And I know it's super hard for, you know, anybody that's 17, 18, 19 going into this right now. Listening, you know, that, uh, you know, you're not invincible, you know, for starters. Um and uh, there's a shit ton of opportunity within the military. And uh, take take the pound of flesh that they're going to get from you, give it to them, and uh, take five pounds in return, man. There's a bunch of stuff out there for you to do. Um, I, don't, I never thought I would have gotten out when I did, but I wish I'd have done more while I was in. If that, so. that does make sense. You know, it's kind of, uh, as the old saying goes, embrace the suck. And then, you know, live it up, too, at the same time. Absolutely, man. Embrace the stuff for sure. But, uh, yeah, it's it's an odd place to be. It, it's, it's hard to reflect on that. But I think that's the biggest thing I've done is, is lived it up more and had taken advantage more of what was available. Outstanding, man, Chris. I want. I just want to say. I want to say thank you very much for you know being a guest on the show and you and and your counterpartners there getting this manic vets this hashtag going, trying to get it out there, trying to get awareness out there, trying to you know help everybody that the, any way you can, and you know it's you know I'm glad to have you in in the fight with us. You know all of us that are out here trying to end the the 22 a day and the ridiculous amount of numbers that are you know, for veterans taking their own lives, the numbers that are coming out are just outstanding. And it's just ridiculous. Um, and I'm glad to have you on, on this side. I'm glad to have the, you know, on the show with me tonight. And I want to say thank you for your service. Man, I want to say thank you for your service. And, and my service was, was my pleasure, man. Um, you know, I, I, I enjoyed this particular podcast. I appreciate you for having me on, brother. Um, you know, and my service was my pleasure, and uh, I enjoyed the hell out of it. So thank you all for my service. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And if you ever want to be back on again, love you, have you back on. And, and listeners, once again, you know, if you want to, 
If you want to see what me and Chris have been talking about with his hashtags and his videos that he's putting out there, once again, he's at the TikTok at GCME2000. Go ahead and uh, follow him. Go take a look at a couple of his videos. You'll see what I'm saying. Share his videos out too to his, you know, if you like his videos, share them out. I mean, um, I didn't know this until I started doing the TikTok for the podcast and stuff like that. But the shares, you know, liking and views is nice. But when you comment and you share it out there, that really helps the algorithm. That really helps pushing the video out there to other people that might never see it. And that video that Chris made or I made or anybody that made, um, they could hit that one veteran at that one moment where he needs to see it. Just like this podcast, you know, it can, uh, it can change, change your thoughts real quick. Um, Chris is putting out amazing content all the time. So go ahead and check out, hit, hit the like button, hit the follow button for Chris and, uh, leave a comment or whatever and say, Hey man, great job. Or, or, you know, DM him if you want to be part of this manic vets hashtag movement. Let's I appreciate it, brother, man. Thank you for your time. Yep. Thank you, sir. And uh, listeners, stay tuned for the outro. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. 